In today's episode, ThreadUp looks to be on a quest for world reselling domination, eBay extends promoted listings to external sites, and a single Dorito chip brings one young girl a big payday. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk Podcast. I say it's Season 2 because for those of you who have been around for a while, you'll know that a couple of weeks ago, I put out a quick podcast slash video that said I was going to put this podcast on hold temporarily. I think I said put it on pause. And I wanted to reevaluate what I was doing here and what it was that was causing me some stress. And over the last couple of weeks, I did, actually, I did a lot of walking. <laughs> my, uh, my Garmin fitness app says I've walked nearly 60 miles in, in between the time uh, we last met and today. And on those walks, I really thought about this process. And I realized that I like doing the research. I like reading these articles. I actually get some benefit out of them myself in addition to sharing them with you. I like recording the podcast and this whole piece of the process. The part that was really weighing on me was the time involved in the post-recording editing of the actual YouTube portion of this video. For those of you listening on the podcast, uh, hopefully today's goes well because one of the changes that I've made is that I'm actually recording this live streaming it directly to YouTube. So some of you will catch this later on the podcast. Some of you will, I'm sure, watch it later. I don't actually know <laughs> if there's anybody in here with me right now for the live video of this, but the post-recording piece, the editing of all the little animated flippity what sold graphics and all that stuff took a tremendous amount of time. And when I really thought about it, that was what was really dragging me down. And... I don't know that most of you who were watching, quote unquote, on YouTube were actually watching. I think a lot of you are listening to this as a podcast. You've got it on in the background and you're not really seeing all that graphic nonsense anyway. So I decided, how can I deliver a similar experience without all of that post-recording drama? And StreamYard may actually represent an opportunity to do that. It's not going to be as flashy. It's probably not going to look as good. But I think I can bring you a similar show on YouTube to what you were seeing before. It shouldn't really affect the podcast at all. The only change I'm going to make on the actual podcast portion is I'm going to eliminate the mid-podcast ad break. I'm doing away with that entirely, at least for the time being. I don't have any direct sponsors. Those were just affiliate messages. I'm going to ditch that. So you're going to get that minute and a half of your life back. <laughs> um, the other change, in addition to being live, which we'll see how that how that goes, is that the weekly business recap that I was doing, which I, I like that from the transparency standpoint. I like to show you what a week in the life of a reseller actually looks like in terms of sales and the costs of goods sold and all the other costs of doing business, but I'm not sure that's necessarily a high value segment. You can let me know in the comments below whether that's something that you want to see every week or not. But my plan, at least for the moment, is to just do that once a month, do a monthly recap wrap up of what the business actually looked like. So those are kind of the changes that I've made that I feel like 
in my 60 miles of walking, I've determined will allow me to continue to do this podcast and bring you the pieces of it that I think are the most relevant, that I actually enjoy doing the most, um, and that will cause kind of the least disruption to my overall workflow. So you can let me know in the comments below, or you can send me an email at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know what you think about that. With all that being said, let's get into... News updates. The news. So let me know what you thought. Did that, did that suffice to what the old thing <laughs> looked like if you're watching over on YouTube? Um, I will try to keep an eye on the chat as I go through this news. So if you are here live and you have some comments, uh, please feel free to chime in. Anyway, let's get into this news. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the thread up report for kind of the future of reselling. And one of the things in that report was the big number of retail executives that had at least ideas and notions about entering the resale space. They felt like it was an opportunity for them to maybe expand their business and make a little profit. The number was something, I don't know, 58, 60 some percent of retail companies and executives were thinking about entering the retail space. In betwixt the time of that recording and today, I read another article which had the position that retail organizations are not necessarily well set up for the sourcing side of resale. They're really well positioned to be able to sell merchandise. They've got terrific e-commerce sites already set up. They have retail locations in typically major metropolitan areas where they should be able to sell the stuff. But the ability to source those items was potentially a problem for them. They're really good at having an account with a vendor, a manufacturer, a distributor, something like that, where they can buy hundreds, thousands of items all at once. The notion of going out to, say, a thrift store or a garage sale to find one-off items to resell in their stores, they're just not set up to do. ThreadUp appears to be making a really concerted effort to fill that gap. They kind of view themselves and sell themselves as resale as a service. And these first, I think it's four news articles, are all about ThreadUp establishing partnerships with retail organizations to essentially do their sourcing for them, which I think, frankly, is just a brilliant idea. So this first one is on Forbes. I will go back in the uh, YouTube video in the description below and add links to all these articles if you'd like to review them yourself. The first one, Madewell partners with ThreadUp to expand the denim trade-in and recycling program. So the fashion brand Madewell announced the next step within its company-wide sustainability efforts. That's the other piece of this, not only an opportunity to make an extra little bit of scratch, but a lot of these companies, especially those that deal with the millennial and Gen X customers who are really about the environment and sustainability, they get to tick that box too by essentially recycling all this stuff. Uh, within its company-wide sustainability efforts by partnering with Resale as a service provider, thread up for a new program, Made Well Forever. It is a pilot program that will allow the brand to expand the denim trade-in and recycling program they currently offer. Made Well Forever creates a circular 
resale program that gives their denim a second life so it stays out of landfills. Um, the head of sustainability, Liz Hirschfield at the J. Crew Group, who was Madwell's parent, says this effort builds upon Madewell's sustainability focus, extending the life of the product by as much as two years. This isn't Madewell's first collaboration with ThreadUp. They began a partnership with that platform back in 2019. They were impressed with ThreadUp's technology, logistics, and the customer experience. So they launched this program. Uh, it expands the partnership with ThreadUp by enabling shoppers to recycle denim and to buy secondhand Madewell denim in stores as well as online for the first time. Uh, the article goes on to say, for now, shoppers can enjoy over 4,000 pre-owned women's denim styles that come in different washes, silhouettes, sizes, including plus. New styles are added hourly as they become available and the prices range from 35 to 50 bucks. Uh, Madewell also aims to attract more Gen Z shoppers like we just talked about with this launch. According to Derek Yarbrough, uh, Madewell's CMO, over 40% of millennial and Gen Z shoppers have shopped secondhand fashion over the past 12 months. The article says it is a wise strategy given that Gen Z is leading the way in interest for sustainable products. 93% of Gen Z believe brands have a duty to protect the environment. This generation also represents the most rapidly growing consumer group with more than $140 billion in spending power. Madewell Forever's ultimate goal is to collect 1 million pairs of denim by 2023. Next up, Fabletics is getting into resale. On Monday, Fabletics joined the growing list of retail fashion brands that are bringing resale in-house. This program, launched in partnership with ThreadUp again, allows Fabletics customers to mail pre-owned clothing to the brand and receive store credit for any item deemed resellable. Customers can package Fabletics clothes and non-Fabletics clothes together in their shipments. Sellable Fabletics pieces will be resold through the brand's new resale shop and sellable non-Fabletic pieces will be sold directly by ThreadUp. Any other pieces will be recycled. Uh, the resale will be available again, both in-store and online. The company originally was online only, started in 2015. That's where the majority of its business still is, but it does have more than 50 stores um, that will be doing this. Adding that obviously to their stores is going to be a, a one of those infrastructure things that these companies are going to have to sort out. But again, partnering with ThreadUp should allow them to at least have an opportunity to source. Again, ThreadUp has partnered with LG to launch a donations program. The online consignment store ThreadUp has partnered with clothing, care, and laundry innovator LG Electronics USA to introduce a new garment donation service to the United States. The company's apparel cleanout program encourages the public to donate their unwanted items in order to prolong their use. And lastly, back on Forbes again with Europe in its sights, ThreadUp acquires one of the continent's top fashion resellers. Continuing their aggressive growth trajectory with the first phase of its international expansion, They've entered into a definitive agreement to acquire, they're actually buying this company, Remix Global AD, one of Europe's leading fashion resale companies. The acquisition, the article says, will accelerate ThreadUp's expansion plans in Europe, where the secondhand market in 2020 was estimated to be $21 billion and expected to grow to $39 billion by 2025. 
ThreadUp has been expanding quickly in the U.S., where the secondhand apparel and accessories market is projected to double in the next five years, growing 11 times faster than the broader retail sector, according to the ThreadUp report that we talked about earlier. This comes on the heels of another deal that they apparently did that I missed somewhere along the way with Vera Bradley. So kudos to ThreadUp, man. They're just crushing, um, trying to establish themselves as a terrific go-between between people that want to get rid of stuff and people that want to buy sustainably. And again, these retail companies that are not well set up to do the purchasing of those items. So this is really a great opportunity. It does present a potential problem for individual kind of mom and pop resellers. Uh, if people are able to just send their stuff to thread up and they don't have to have a garage sale, put it on Facebook marketplace or mess with any of that kind of nonsense, the opportunity for us to find fashion goods may get a little bit more difficult as we get into the future here, but we'll have to see how that goes. Um, moving on here, Walmart, Etsy, and Chewy are among the fastest growing U.S. online retailers. A new report from eMarketer anticipated that the top 15 retailers, including Walmart, Etsy, Chewy, and Amazon, will account for 72.3% of e-commerce sales in the U.S. Etsy tops the list with anticipated online growth at 26.9%. So, in addition to everything else that Etsy has been doing with their acquisitions and all the rest of that, um, they're just having enormous growth. Since 2017, Etsy has expanded its niche marketplace business into a house of brands by acquiring Dawanda, a German marketplace for gifts and handmade goods. In 2018, for $35 million, they purchased Reverb, which I did not know that. That is a really almost a bizarre acquisition, uh, a marketplace for new used and vintage musical instruments. It was acquired in 2019 by Etsy for $275 million. And as we've talked about on several occasions on this show this year, they are in the process of acquiring Depop. Walmart is expected to grow by 26.4%. Amazon, 24.9%. They recently bought, or uh, yeah, they bought the retail brand Justice as a supplier. So the big get bigger. <laughs> uh, Walmart joined with The Gap to create a new line of home accessories and linens under a licensing agreement. And then Chewy, an online pets retailer uh, owned by PetSmart, which I did not know, was the third fastest growing this year at 25%. So these big companies are kind of acquiring other companies and it's adding to their growth. Etsy in particular uh, looks to be well positioned for long-term growth. If you sell on Mercari, you have probably been bombarded by this already, but Mercari has announced a nationwide delivery partnership with Uber to expand their local no meetup marketplace. They call it Mercari Local. Uh, they announced, it was late last week, that they will uh, partner with Uber to do this. The cost looks like it's about $8 to the consumer. I think I did, I set one up and I think it's $7.99 for the consumer. You do have to enable certain functions within Mercari to be able to participate in this program. Let me know in the comments or in the chat what you think of Mercari's local plan. Um, I probably won't use it 
too often. I've gotten busted a couple of times. <laughs> uh, I use uh, we've talked about on this show before. I used List Perfectly to transfer listings from eBay over to Mercari, and I have some big, bulky electronics that I will list with, say, UPS ground or local pickup available. And when I transfer that listing, that local pickup available transfers in the product description. And if I don't delete that, man, I get a nasty gram from Mercari about violating their terms of service for local pickup. So this will give me an opportunity maybe for those kind of items to do it. But on the normal kind of DVD, CD, book kind of stuff, it probably doesn't make financial sense for either party to participate in. So I don't know how often I will use it. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, let me know down in the comments below what you think of that add-on. This is something they had piloted in some major cities, San Francisco, New York, and Houston, uh, was previously known as Mercari Now. And as I said, it is launched nationwide as Mercari Local. Um, the logistics program that Uber offers, I think, is probably a decent fit for Mercari with this. I think it will be helpful for them. It will also give, obviously, Uber and their drivers an opportunity to make a little extra money doing things more than just kind of the ride share type stuff. So that's kind of all good. Uh, Anthony comments, the Mercari delivery thing seems pretty worth it to use sometimes. Definitely not against it. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's obviously not going to apply to everything, but there are some things. It says specifically when you go to list that it has to be, I think, under so many pounds and it has to be able to fit in a car's trunk. <laughs> uh, so they are trying to make it so that you're not trying to ship, you know, a pallet of stuff on Mercari Local. But uh, there you go. Ah, the gift that keeps on giving. The eBay harassment of the founders and operators of e-commerce bites continues to be in the news. The couple on the receiving end of that harassment uh, has now sued eBay and the ex-officials in the company. The Massachusetts couple subjected to threats and other bizarre harassment from former eBay Inc. employees filed a civil suit against the Silicon Valley giant on Wednesday. David and Ina Steiner say in their lawsuit, which was filed in Boston Federal Court, that the company engaged in a conspiracy to, quote, intimidate, threaten to kill, torture, terrorize, stalk, and silence them in order to stifle their reporting on eBay. Uh, they, as I said, run e-commerce bites. It's an online newsletter focused on the e-commerce industry. They say they were subjected to cyber stalking, death threats, bizarre deliveries. I think there were bugs and a severed pig's head or something like that. Um, and in-person surveillance from company workers. They're seeking damages to be awarded by a jury. This has been an unbelievably difficult ordeal for my wife and I, David Steiner said. Never did we imagine doing our jobs as journalists would lead to this. We want to protect the rights of reporters and their freedom of the press. We have endured enormous cruelty and abuse and feared for our lives. If this behavior can happen to us, it can happen to anyone. In a statement Wednesday, uh, eBay again apologized to the couple and stressed that they have fully cooperated with the authorities during this inquiry, the misconduct of these former employees. They're always really careful to point out that these are all former <laughs> uh, employees. Uh, was wrong and we will do what is fair and appropriate to try, try to address what the Steiners went through. The company said the events from 2019 should never have happened. And as eBay expressed to the Steiners, we're very sorry for what they endured. 
Um, as we've talked about previously, several former employees were charged last June for their roles in the harassment campaign. At least five have already pled guilty, and one of them was just sentenced yesterday. Um, Ex-employee gets 18 months for the cyberstalking campaign. A former security operations manager for eBay, Inc., was sentenced to 18 months in prison Tuesday for his role in an extensive campaign to terrorize and intimidate the editor and publisher of an online newsletter. It's not in this article. I read it in another story. I believe if I read it correctly, after his 18-month term, he also has a, a year of house arrest and a $15,000 fine. Uh, Philip Cook pled guilty in October to conspiracy to commit cyberstalking and conspiracy to tamper with witnesses for his part in the scheme. Uh, authorities say Cook, who was a senior manager of security operations for eBay, eBay's global security team, conspired with other employees to terrorize the couple. Prosecutors said that Cook, who is a retired Santa Clara, California police captain, who should know better, <laughs> uh, attended a meeting at headquarters where the employees plotted sending harassing anonymous messages to one of the victims over Twitter. They say Cook also tried to obstruct police's investigation into the scheme. Cook's lawyer wrote in court documents that his role in the campaign was quote-unquote limited and that he tried to warn his colleagues not to send threatening messages or disturbing deliveries. He has accepted full responsibility for his misconduct and is very remorseful for his bad choices. He wants to do whatever it takes to put his life right. I guess we're going to find out because he's going to the big house. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, the others have not yet been sentenced, I would imagine, I assume they're all going to receive fairly similar treatment. So uh, 18 months plus some time on house arrest for that fella. Interesting article on today. Everybody's talking about resale. Everybody's talking about Etsy. There is an article, five tips for starting a successful Etsy shop. So if you're new to the resale game and thinking about setting up on Etsy, uh, this is a pretty, pretty good article. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it, but I will highlight their five tips. Create a memorable brand. It is important to develop a cohesive, recognizable brand identity that will make you stand out on Etsy and elsewhere. Price your products correctly. They say the difference between a hobby and a business is whether or not you make money. I suppose that's true to some extent. Uh, pricing is obviously really important. You've got you've to do your research. You've got to know what your competitors are doing, what they're pricing, and kind of make that comparison of the quality of your items versus the quality of others. When I do comps, I'm always looking is my item like new and their item acceptable? And if they're at 10 bucks, can I get away with 14, 15, 16 because mine's in better shape or vice versa? So those things are really important. Pricing obviously is, is king. We like to think, everybody likes to say that customer service is super important and it is important, um, obviously as it affects like your feedback rating on eBay and that, but I don't, I think at the end of the day, price is still king. If I've got two relatively equal items and one is 10 bucks and one is 12, I'm probably buying the $10 item. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, but there are some areas that you can kind of look out for to differentiate yourself. Three, take beautiful photos of your product. This is true regardless of whether it's Etsy or eBay or anywhere else. Good photography is one of the most important aspects of selling your products. 
get the word out. There are lots of things you can do to market your product, but will probably have the biggest effect is word of mouth. Share it on social media. If you're on Facebook, Instagram, any of that kind of stuff, make sure that you're talking about what you're doing. Um, one seller said she saw a big jump in her sales when a famous fashion designer bought one of her doormats and shared it on her website and social media. We're not all going to be that lucky. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. I, I wish, you know, a celebrity would buy something from my eBay store and then share it on their social media, or they would listen to this podcast and say, man, that guy, he's really got his shit together. <laughs> uh, but that's probably not going to happen. But if it does, or even if a, a fairly big influencer, I mean, somebody with three, four, 5,000 followers shares an item that you've made, I mean, that's free advertising. So, you know, hopefully we all get something like that. Uh, besides getting people to rave about your products to their friends, there are also other things you can do to spread the word, like plan a smart social media strategy or advertise online. Or if it's craft type items, sell at a craft show and make sure you have your business cards with your Etsy store on them. Last, be flexible and open to evolving, which is always the case in any business, uh, whether it's working with the platform's ever-changing algorithm, keeping up with market trends, or analyzing customer feedback, you should be ready, willing, and adapt to try something different. Keep an eye on seasonal trends. Ask your friends and family for honest feedback on your products and track what's selling and what's not so you can make sure you're giving your customers what they want. So that is especially true, of course, for if you're crafting, if you're making something specific, that is much more applicable than if you're the traditional reseller that's going out to an estate sale and buying something. That, that's a little bit different there. Uh, eBay this week announced that uh, they are extending promoted listings to external sites. So essentially, if you're on promoted listings, you're automatically enrolled in this program. There's no additional cost. You can opt out if you would like. Uh, one of the key ways we connect buyers to our site with your inventory is through our marketing investments, which ensure that eBay listings appear in external ads on partner sites and search platforms like Google and Bing. We're happy to share that moving forward, promoting list, promoted listings will be featured in these external ads, expanding the reach of sellers promoted listings campaigns and providing additional visibility across the web. While we're excited to introduce external promoted listings, we continue to remain committed to providing sellers with the opportunity to be included in eBay's external advertising at no charge. So they're gonna to continue to pump out ads that have non-promoted items in them. I would assume that they will be kinda, of, I don't wanna say second-class citizens, but second-class citizens. <laughs> uh, if it was me, that's what I would, would show on eBay or on the external sites is items that are promoted where there's a, a potential for a little more earnings for eBay. Uh, what sellers need to know, they come at no additional cost to sellers. The promoted listings ad rate works the same on and off eBay. If a buyer clicks on a promoted listing and purchase, purchases that item within 30 days of that click, the seller pays the ad rate determined at the time of the click. So you're not paying in advance. You're not paying per click. You're only paying if a customer makes a purchase. They have updated their downloadable campaign reports to show the impact of external promoted listings. Those metrics will include clicks, conversion rate, listing sales, and the ad fees. 
Sellers who use promoted listings will be automatically eligible to be featured in external promoted listings. Sellers who use promoted listings do not need to take any actions. It is not mandatory to participate in extended promoting listings, and you can opt out if you don't want to appear. I don't know why you wouldn't want that opportunity. The ad rate is going to be the same. Why wouldn't you want to just expose your products to that many more potential customers? So I think that's a, a win-win if you use promoted listings. I, for my part, actually do not use promoted listings, so it's not going to affect me. Although I will say it has me thinking about, in some cases, maybe adding promoted listings to my arsenal. The last thing you may have already seen this elsewhere, but I thought this was a really kind of just a fun way to end the news. Doritos has offered a 13-year-old girl $20,000 as a reward for discovering the rare puffy chip and listing it on eBay. So you may have seen this. Uh, this was, I don't know, last week or two weeks ago. A uh, young girl in Australia, 13 years old from Queensland, is she, she found this chip in a bag posted it on TikTok. Uh, it was bloated across all three of its points. She discovered it while eating the packet of snacks. The video went viral, garnering more than 4 million views. Text on the video says, I found a puff Dorito. Is this valuable or should I just eat it? I probably wouldn't have thought twice. <laughs> uh, I would have just ate it. But uh, kudos to her for at least thinking that way. A future uh, Jeff Bezos there, maybe. Uh, TikTokers online encouraged her to put the Doritos chip up for sale on eBay, and that's exactly what she did. A few users joked that they should put it in a museum. She initially asked 99 cents for it in the listing, um, describing it as a puffy Dorito, one of a kind. It wasn't long till she started receiving bids. I think from what I read in another art article, uh, bids actually got to $90,000 before the ad, uh, the listing was removed. Now, I don't know if the family chose to remove the listing or if eBay took it down. I don't know what the situation was where the listing got deleted and there was no buyer. Um, the story obviously attracted a ton of attention and Doritos, to their credit, reached out and offered her $20,000. Uh, she told the news outlets that she had intended to eat the chip but then had second thoughts. Quote, I was about to eat it and then I thought, I better save it for later. Dad is saying that since he bought the packet, it's his chip. But I ate the packet and I found it, so I believe it's mine, she said. So <laughs> uh, let me know down in the comments what you think about all of that. Um, that's a fun way to kind of end the news segment of this. Um, I'm going to try to make this segment a little bit longer each week, depending on how much information is actually out there since uh, we're going to delete potentially that weekly business recap. But now for the second part, let's talk about what sold over on the bay. So let me pull this up. This is the part of the show that's not going to be quite as fancy if you're watching on YouTube as it was previously. I'm just going to screen share my... Uh, Google Photos file that I used to record this segment. So no fancy flipping graphics animations and a lot of extraneous stuff here. So hopefully you can see it. I don't know. I can't tell how big it shows up, but here we go. This is the, some of the stuff that has sold over the last kind of 10 days over 
I think everything this week is on eBay. This first item, Adam 12. This is a show from the late 1960s and early 1970s that I remember watching as a kid. Uh, there were seven seasons of this. I picked this up in a big lot. I think I talked about it in one of my last videos before I took the little hiatus. I bought up 850 odd DVDs for 150 bucks. And there were six full seasons of the seven that were available. I've got one partial I'm hoping to find the other discs for, but um, six of them, full seasons, sold essentially for $20 to $23.99 a piece with free shipping. I own them for $0.17 cents each. So give or take a couple of bucks, just these six Adam 12 sets that I sold paid for the entire 850-odd DVD lot. So that lot I continue to work on. If you're watching on YouTube, you may be able to see over my shoulder, there's DVDs literally everywhere <laughs> uh, as I work through those. But that has been well worth, um, not quite the return, I don't think, on balance that the Doctor Who DVDs that we'll talk about here in a few minutes have been, uh, but a really, really good score. So 800 and 50 DVDs. I think I paid 150 bucks. This next item, uh, The Beautiful River about the Ohio River was published in 1940 by the Hamilton County Historical Society, if I'm not mistaken. This is an item, I'm, I'm sharing it because I think a lot of people would probably not look twice at this if they saw it on a table at an estate sale. It's old. It was a little bit beat up. No comps. No solds, nothing in Terapeak. That's totally unique item. Some people aren't, they just don't want to mess with that kind of stuff. And I get it. I love this kind of stuff because it's, it may be long tail. This is something that may sit for quite a while. This lasted less than a week. I bought it for 50 cents and it sold for $24.99 with free shipping. So kind of any of the old kind of historical stuff, any, any books like that, I, I think... They are potential big wins, and I'll take a chance, especially if I can get it for 50 cents. So if you're out at a sale and you see kind of these random books, this was like a staple-bound booklet. It wasn't really a full book. They're worth at least taking a look at, if not going ahead and taking a gamble on. -na 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 -na, Batman, I remember this show from the late 60s and early 70s, watching it as a kid, The Complete television series from the 60s seasons one two and three on dvd this was also part of that 850 dvd lot so i own this season for 17 cents i believe i had it listed for 29.99 or best offer i got an offer of 20 bucks within like five minutes of listing it and i sent the guy a message i said hey you know what i literally just put this thing up i can't justify whacking it down to 20 bucks but i'll meet you in the middle which i know they say you should never do but $25 with free shipping, and this thing is out the door. Another old book. This one has actually been here for a while. This was a part of a big lot. I think I own this for maybe 25 or 30 cents. Grammar Can Be Fun from 1934. This was a 27th printing, so nothing particularly special that way, but there were not a lot of these out there. Uh, I had this listed, I want to say, for maybe $32.99, and I sent out an offer. As I do generally twice a day, I'll go to my send offer eligible page 
in the eBay store seller hub and stuff that's in there that is not already on sale or not brand spanking new, I will send out 10 or 15% offers on. I sent out a 15% offer on this and it sold for $29.74. Next up, uh, another book. This was from the big 2,500 book lot from a, about a year ago now. The Civil War, the third year told by those who lived it. This was a first printing hardcover with dust jacket. Uh, my cost of goods on this is 25 cents and it sold for $34.99 with free shipping. Another book. This is the Biblia Parallela. It's a... Um, New international version from 1960 of the Bible. It was new and sealed and it was in Spanish. So this had a ticked a lot of kind of the unique boxes. It's still wrapped in its kind of plastic cellophane wrap. The book itself, I think, was probably published in the maybe 1990s or early 2000s, but it's based on a revision from 1960. I bought this at a thrift store for a dollar and it sold for $36.99 with free shipping. Toy Train Stuff, I talk about it seemingly every week. This is a book that I bought in a big lot that I own for one whole nickel, the Toy Train Department Sears Catalogs Electric Train Pages from 1950 to 1969. So this is essentially a, a book of reproductions of the pages of old Sears catalogs from those years exclusively about toy trains. I had this listed for, I think, $49.99. I got a best offer of $35. I countered at $40. I own it for a nickel. I, I'm not, not going to fight too hard <laughs> uh, on this, but it sold for $40 with free shipping. Another big sale from the 850 DVD lot uh, from the 1960s, Jerry Anderson's UFO, the complete series. This is another one that I remember watching as a kid, and I vaguely remember being kind of freaked out by this show. Um, very, probably a little bit ahead of its time, Jerry Anderson did like Thunderbirds and Stingray and later on did Space 1999. He did a lot of things with kind of uh, stop motion animation, that kind of thing. A lot of models in this. It was really for its time, probably really well done. It was one of the few things he did in this era that was kind of a combination of live action and kind of modeled special effects, but it was a really interesting show. This was a complete set of eight DVDs of the entire series. It did not have its original slipcase box, or it might've brought a little bit more money. I had this listed for $49.99 or best offer. I got an offer of 45 bucks and went ahead and sent this thing on its way as well. These I own for 17 cents a piece. So whatever 17 times eight is less than $2. So pretty nice flip there. If you follow me over on Instagram, wait, I've got a graphic here. Uh, where is it? There it is at galaxy CDs rocks. <laughs> Uh, if you're following me over there, you probably saw this a couple of days ago. I'm, I continue to shamelessly brag about this Doctor Who buy. It was, it has been incredible. It was 141 DVDs that I bought for 200 bucks. I have probably grossed already 
in gross sales, nearly $2,000 off of that buy. This was the big one for the week. Uh, in terms of an individual sale, Doctor Who, The City of Death, story number 105 from the Tom Baker years. That's when I kind of was into Doctor Who, although I was watching it later. I didn't realize his era of that was from 1974 to 81. I caught it in, man, probably the late 90s, early 2000s. They're super cheesy. The special effects are terrible, but the stories are actually pretty good. And th these things are in incredible demand. If you find Doctor Who DVDs from this series going, it goes clear back to the early 60s, man, snap them up. The cheapest one I've sold, I think, is $8.99. And that is the rare exception. Most of them, the average price that I've sold these for is about $23. This one went for $50.99 on a best offer. I think I was asking $54.99. Um, and I will comment, by and large, people have been really fair with their best offers. I'm not, and I've got like minimum threshold set up, so I'm not seeing a lot of the lowball offers, but most of my people, when I go and look, they've only made just the one offer and it's, they're generally fairly reasonable. So I'm, I'm really thrilled with how this Doctor Who stuff has gone. Uh, I had a couple of customers that have bought six at a time, sales adding up to $100 to $150. So just a fantastic score. My average cost of goods sold on these was $1.41.8 or something like that. So more model train stuff. Uh, one buyer, he bought one set of magazines from me a couple of weeks ago, was apparently very happy with the quality of the magazines and the speed with which they got to him. So he ordered three more sets, Model Railroader magazine, from 1983, 99, and 2000. I own these for 96 cents a year. They went for 67.17 on best offers with customer paid shipping. So that's a really nice flip. I stumbled on another big collection of these magazines at a garage sale about two weeks ago. I was out and there was a small pile of them on the table. And I said, how much are the magazines? And do you have any more? And she says, they're 10 cents each. And yeah, I've probably got 100 in the basement. I, I didn't even look at them. I just said, I'll take them all. <laughs> uh, and they carted up what ended up being 250 magazines. So I spent 25 bucks, average cost of goods sold, 10 cents a piece for a bunch more of these, which I have not even started to sort. But these have been uh, continued good sellers for me. And now, gosh, I think I have a graphic for this too. I tried to make this work. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, where is it? There we go. Your flip of the week. I, I promise for those of you watching live on YouTube, I will get better at this. <laughs> uh, the flip of the week this week, the Schwinn bicycle catalogs that I talked about some time back continue to just be fantastic. As you may recall, I own these for 10.2 cents per item. One buyer bought five of these at an average price of 22 bucks a piece. So $110 with free shipping with an average cost of goods sold of 10.2 cents. This ended up being uh, 51 cents cost of goods sold. If my maths are right. Uh, they have been again, fantastic. I bought the entire box for 10 bucks and have made probably north of a thousand dollars already on them. Uh, I've actually sold 
most of them. I've probably got less than a quarter of them left. So they have been really, really good scores for me. So that's going to wrap up uh, kind of the what sold segment. And that's going to kind of wrap up the show. I want to let me jump into the chat here real quick in case I've missed anything. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, uh, again, just a reminder, I am doing these live. I'm, the plan is that I'm going to do these live every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern time. So if you're inclined to join, please come on over and I'll try again to keep an eye on the chat, but uh, no, no promises. Uh, lots of welcome backs here. I appreciate that very much. I do want to thank everybody also who reached out uh, either in the comments or on Instagram or by emailing me directly over the two week hiatus uh, to tell me how much they appreciated the show and how much they appreciated that I was taking the time to step back to get my mental space right so that when I did do these, I enjoyed them and could transfer that joy appropriately to you. So thank you to everyone that reached out uh, while I was away. Uh, let me see what I got here. This is a big one. eBay sent me a message that they needed a photo ID and a bank statement that was a couple of months after already switching over to manage payments. Did you have to provide that info too? Yes, I did. Um, I actually had to provide that as part of my sign-up process. I'm surprised that that came to you afterwards. But yes, the photo ID thing, I don't, I guess I really, they got to do some due diligence to make sure that you are who you say you are. But uh, I, don't, I don't really understand why they want that one. The bank statement is just to verify that you are the owner of the bank account and that the, that account information obviously matches what you gave to eBay for your payments so that the payments go to the right place. So I didn't have any problems with that. I think everybody is going to that, especially with the the new change in the 1099 requirements for this year. If you have payments processed in excess of $600 this year, it used to be 20,000, now it's 600. The, the payment processor, be it eBay, Mercari, PayPal, whoever it is, has to provide you with a 1099. And in order to do that, they obviously have to have your social security number and that kind of information. So for hobby sellers that previously really didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff, now you're in a situation, the hobby, the difference between making money and not making money is a little bit sketchier because it's the $600 threshold. You are actually going to have to provide them with some information. Um, flipping sports guy. Thanks for stopping by buying justice after they closed was a huge pickup. Yes, I agree. Uh, that was uh, all these companies. I feel like they haven't made any bad buys in their expansion. Uh, some obviously are better than others. That Depop move, I think is going to be a gold mine for Etsy, but most of them have done a pretty good job of making acquisitions that seem to fit with what it is they're trying to do. So I appreciate you stopping by. Jennifer R., thank you for stopping by and uh, watching the show. Hopefully, if you're still here, Francisco, uh, one of my biggest fans, Francisco, thank you so much from for stopping by. Uh, Jim Lucas, thank you for the welcome back as well. Uh, Prenny's prized possessions, also uh, a thank you for your comment. So... With that, uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, hopefully, if you are a podcast listener, my plan is to have the podcast version of this up Wednesdays by noon. The 
the YouTube replay should be available fairly shortly. And I'll go in and add links to all of the news stories that I quoted here today. So if you want to go back and read any of that information for yourself, you can do so. So hopefully this format has worked out. Okay. Let me know in the comments down below what you thought of, of doing this live. If you are a podcast listener, you can send me an email at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know did this sound as good? I'm still recording the podcast directly to the roadcaster. So I, I don't think you'll notice any differences there, but doing what's coming up on 50 minutes live nonstop without a break. Hopefully this all made sense. <laughs> uh, with that, we're going to close it for the day. I hope you have, you've had a great couple of weeks without me. Uh, it's good to be back and we will see you next week. And now it's time to sell. Thanks guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.